Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast, your weekly dose of talking about watching soccer on TV, online and apps. Coming up on episode 20 of the World Soccer Talk podcast, we discuss the comedy of errors from Fox Sports and US Soccer in their coverage of the World Cup qualifiers, news about huge ratings for games on US television, and whether the Bundesliga's new global strategy is dead on arrival or not. I'm joined today by Kartik Krishnayar. Kartik, how are you, sir? I'm doing well, thank you. Okay, and for everyone, uh, I'm Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, and here we go with the World Soccer Talk podcast, where we're going to dive into, first of all, what we've been watching. So, Kartik, what have you been watching this week? Uh, A heavy dose of international football, the U.S. games, mostly CONCACAF. Uh, I've got on my DVR still a Northern Ireland, uh, Norway game I want to watch. I saw portions of England, England. England and Lithuania, but actually had uh, was on the phone during that match. I didn't really get to focus on it. And uh, also Germany, Azerbaijan, flipping back and forth. I uh, was working during the Germany-England game, but kept pretty good track of it uh, online and got to see the screamer from Podolski. So that was uh, definitely a highlight of the week and great way for a great player to go out. I know we talked about it last week on the pod, but a uh, sure. great way for a great player to go out. So, this is, so we'll get into some of those games in a little bit, but th- let's start off with the uh, USA against Honduras um, match. Uh, first of all, Kartik, what, what did you think in terms of the performance? Oh, it was outstanding for the United States. It was the best performance we've seen from the United States in some time. Uh, a lot of urgency around uh, how uh, the team needed to come out, considering the situation they were in at World Cup qualifying, and a bit of a new manager bounce under Bruce Arena. A lot of injuries to speak of, and we'll get into that in a few minutes, but I thought the U.S. was, uh, from a performance standpoint, very, very good. Although, uh, again, I, I get a lot of complaints about why these games are on FS1 and not on ESPN. And, and just for those who don't know, there is a rotation. There are six games in the hex that ESPN and Fox uh, – Get the get the split up so it's one 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 one. The next uh, next game will be on ESPN. The away games, other than Mexico, are all on BN due to uh, uh, contractual arrangements that were out of the control of U.S. soccer. Uh, but the uh, U.S. home games and the game in Mexico, uh, Mexico has the same marketing partner as uh, U.S. soccer does that uh, sells TV rights. So uh, U.S. and Mexico games are essentially bundled into one package, uh, which Fox and ESPN have. And it's actually connected to the Major League Soccer package. The um, 
beat the other four games, like the game in Honduras last night, are uh, for English language audiences on BN Sports. Uh, and that is out of the control of U.S. soccer. Uh, it seems, Chris, we explain this every time it happens, and yet there's still more questions about it, so I figured I would just get it out of the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's good to mention that, too, because on, on Twitter there are a lot of questions, people asking, uh, why isn't the uh, Panama-USA game on national TV? And I'm thinking to myself, okay, it's on national TV, it's just that it's on being sports. It's a channel that not everyone gets. It's in, like, what, about 30 million homes. Um, but there is always, always confusion, always chaos whenever a game's not on Fox or ESPN. Um, there's a lot of, you mean, casual sports fans who just freak out and go, okay, this is ridiculous that the game's not on television. Well, it is on television, and it may be on a channel that you get or may, maybe not get, but there's so many options out there to be able to watch this, these games. Um, at this point in time, I find it hard. Uh, for people to be making excuses. I mean, all you have to do is just do a quick Google search and you'll find legally several different sources of ways to watch the game, either on TV or streaming. Um, and, and actually, worldsoccertalk.com, that's something we we specialize in and focus on, is making sure that people have uh, can find out where the games are, where what, what time, um, kickoff times, which is always kind of uh, something that fluctuates, especially in CONCACAF uh, games. But, um, but Carter, let's go back to the USA-Honduras game on Friday um, for a second, though. The performance on, on the pitch, I agree. It was To me, it was a breath of fresh air. Um, I thought they played with a, a new sense of energy. Uh, it was very positive performance. Uh, it was, to me at least, out of all the matches I've watched this past week, and there's been a lot of games I've watched, I've, I've lost count, um, this was the most entertaining and appealing one to me. Having said that, Okartic, I thought Honduras was very weak in the first half, gave the U.S. so much time and space on the ball, and uh, the U.S., basically, uh, which, is, which is great for them, was able to um, penetrate and take advantage of that situation and, and come out of this game. 6-0. I mean, who would have imagined this one, Kartik, uh, under a Klinsman kind of reign? I mean, I, I, I'm sure the performance wouldn't have been as, as good, but it's positive signs, at least from Friday's game. Yeah, I think uh, a major change between Klinsman's U.S. team in critical must-win matches and what we saw in this Honduras game was a lack of fear, a willingness to go forward with gusto, with numbers early, and a freedom to um, express yourself. Now, there is this reputation that has uh, just been spun, I think, by those who have an agenda in the U.S. soccer fandom that uh, Klinsman is this, this, this magical foreign coach in arenas, this very uh, regimented American coach uh, who uh, will stifle the creativity of the side. I saw quite the opposite, quite frankly. And, and this, is, this was true when Arena first managed the U.S. team. I thought that was the most creative period where midfielders were given more freedom and wingers to be uh, creative players than they were uh, under Bradley or under Klinsman. And I think part of it is that uh, Arena is not a huge tactics guy, right? He's kind of a more of a motivational type uh, man manager. And we saw that freedom come out. And then you just have the continuing brilliance of Christian Pulisic. But noteworthy is how well Darlington Nagby played in, in, in a new role for him with the national team. How well Clint Dempsey returned from his uh, injury or his heart problems, excuse me, and I thought how well in that particular game, not in the Panama game, we'll get to that in a little bit, but how well against Honduras, Josie Altador, uh, 
played as a foil and as a supporting striker. I thought he had an outstanding game and what was a little bit different of a role for him. He's usually the primary goal scorer. Yeah, and it's something, though, too, that uh, especially in this modern game, Kotick, uh, I mean, coaches like Pep Guardiola and, and, and others, I'm, I'm sure uh, Jürgen Klopp and many others, are very, very restrictive in terms of how their players play. They have to play within a certain, you know, I think, I think it was what Thierry Henry, I think uh, Pep kept on, on saying to him, okay, you can't cross the halfway line or you have to tuck in. You, you don't have the type of freedom that you used to have, say, you know, a decade ago. Managers are very, very controlling in terms of where you play and, and uh, how you set up. So there, there was that freedom, which I, I saw against Honduras, um, and it was, in, it was a joy to watch. It was an entertaining game, uh, especially for the U.S. winning, we're scoring all those goals. But still, it was uh, a renewed sense of enthusiasm in the U.S. team and something we've been missing for a very, very long time. Now, Kartik, performance on the pitch was fantastic. What about uh, off the pitch in terms of uh, the coverage from Fox? Well, I have to thank our colleague Daniel Feuerstein uh, for saving me from Fox's pregame and postgame for the most part because we had our uh, our Feuerstein Fires pregame and postgame show, which, by the way, you probably got better analysis on. I'm not just tooting my own horn, but all our other guests uh, also provided this than you would have gotten on Fox. The little I saw Fox's pregame show, it was a clown show with no analysis, with no uh, real definitive discussion of how the U.S. was going to play, how Honduras was going to play beyond the uh, basic, hey, this is, you know, you have to go out there and prove things, or you, this is uh, where you put your foot down and you show how strong you are and uh, psychological factors, etc. It, it was uh, it was very, very poor. Um, that having been said, Fox's game coverage with Landon Donovan, uh, along with Stu Holden and uh, John Strong, I thought was very, very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think Landon Donovan adds a lot as a co-commentator. He, he's um, he's outstanding, quite frankly, and, and and he's outstanding with very little training. Now, of course, he's had years and years and years of media training as the big star for the U.S. men's national team and the big star in Major League Soccer. Obviously, had a few stints in Europe. Uh, he's also uh, very well versed in, in in Spanish. Very uh, speaks Spanish beautifully. I'm told by my uh, Latino colleagues to the point where I think he, he's maybe able to gather in more information and understanding of, of, of teams like Honduras when he, when the United States plays them, of teams from Latin America. But um, I'm really impressed by Donovan and his analysis is spot on, and he doesn't seem to be he doesn't seem to want to pull punches like so many other commentators on U.S. games do. So uh, he's not quite at Taylor Twelman's level. No one is. But he's uh, he's quickly emerging as maybe uh, second in that pecking order. Yeah, I'm going to actually go fast forward and then go backwards. So so I'll fast forward to the game itself. And um, personally, I, I still preferred uh, Landon with JP as far as the partnership, just the two of them together. There's a better energy or uh, kind of just the, the teamwork in terms of them uh, working together. Uh, to me, I, I personally, I, I prefer that. Um, having said that, though, John Strong and Landon did well. Uh, Stuart Holden, it was interesting, Carter. I think, to me at least, having three people in the in the booth and having Stuart Holden and Landon Donovan, it was a bit of a duplication. Um, I didn't really see the point in having all three of them there. Um, to me, at least personally, I mean, I don't think... Holden added that much on top of what Donovan was saying. 
And if anything, it kind of diluted a little bit of what Donovan was saying in terms of, you mean, airtime, uh, having three people trying to talk, talk all, all over the game. But, um, but I thought they did well as a trio. I just, I just personally think, uh, JP and Landon's the better partnership. And, um, and actually John Strong and Stuart, Stuart Holden work really well together too. So I'm sure hopefully we'll see those two guys, uh, those te- two teams are two partnered up, uh, for, I mean, Gold Cup and World Cups, uh, ahead of us. Um, as far as the, Pre-game itself, I think you hit it uh, a nail on the head there, Kartik, in terms of it was a clown show, and it was a clown show really to me because you had uh, Fernando Fiore on, and I, I, I like him personally. I think he's funny. I think he's energetic. I think he adds something to it. But when he's partnered with Lalas, then Lalas gets sucked into that, and then Lalas starts acting like a, a clown too, and you you miss the whole really advantage of having a Lalas and the reason that Fox hired him was because he's he's a smart guy um tactically he's pretty decent but he's very opinionated you mean and people people either love Lalas or they hate Lalas um but having Lalas with Fiore to me is just a bad combination um now the whole pre-game itself Kartik um you missed a lot of it so (laughs) lucky to you but it, it dragged on. It dragged on and on and on. And the reason it dragged on was because originally, and this is going back for probably about two months, Fox had been promoting on TV ads on their network the double header. It was going to be Mexico, Costa Rica on FS1, started at 8 o'clock, followed by uh, USA against Honduras on FS1 at 10 o'clock. And it was a double header. It was going to be a big deal. And they'd been promoting this for months, for about two to three months. And then the day before the game, so on the Thursday, Fox sent out a press release. It was, I think, two lines, and it said Mexico, Costa Rica has been moved from FS1 to FS2, and essentially that was all it said. There was no oh, ex- explanation. So it wasn't. It was. So it wasn't my fault. Okay. So I, I thought I had made a mistake because I had set the DVR to record Mexico, Costa Rica, then suddenly found the game wasn't recording at. Uh, <laughs> at 8.30 yep. and that this pregame show was coming on and I thought, what what the heck? And then I checked FS2 and it was on there but I thought I had made a mistake and I had mis- misunderstood the ads and that it had clearly said FS2 and FS1 although I had remembered it as an FS1 doubleheader and it actually set my DVR accordingly which I guess I did correctly because it probably was on the program guide Mexico versus Costa Rica at the time I set my DVR. Wow. Okay. Right, right. So, you, that, so that's what happened. Yeah, that's what happened. Well, well, and actually what seemed to, to have happened, so we don't know this for sure, but it looks very likely that this is what happened, is that uh, a combination of Fox Sports, uh, Univision, and then, you know, I guess, I guess, uh, FMF, I guess the, the Mexican Federation, uh, didn't realize that Mexico doesn't observe daylight saving time until April 2nd. And what happened was that they, they thought originally, okay, there's plenty of time to have the Mexico game against Costa Rica shown live. And then right after that, have the USA against uh, Honduras game, a, a double, a double header. And what they didn't re- realize was that uh, Mexico actually wasn't observing daylight savings time. So the game actually didn't kick off till I think it was like about nine o'clock Eastern time, which if it did start at nine Eastern time, then it would finish at 11, well, just a few minutes before 11 Eastern time. And then Fox would have like what? Five minutes of pregame coverage uh, to sh- to then show the USA Honduras game. Yeah, and, and just for our listeners who don't know this, who are in the United States, the United States changes its clock uh, at a different time than the rest of of the, uh, of the world does. So the rest of the world 
the rest of the world that doesn't observe daylight savings time changes their clock the same weekend. Uh, however, the uh, United States does it three weeks, I think, two or three weeks in advance, which is why if you're a Premier League fan, you're, you're, you're stunned that suddenly the games are at 1.30 instead of 12.30 on NBC, the NBCSN games instead of being at, at 7.30 in the morning or at 8.30 in the morning, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's the reason. So Mexico it didn't do anything wrong here. They're on the same clock as the rest of the world. It's the United States and the United States Congress specifically that has uh, f- uh, fooled with daylight savings time and, and it, it messes up everything from uh, TV schedules to airline schedules to you name it. It messes things up that the U.S. shifts, shifts the clock, its clock at a different time than the rest of the world. Yeah, and, and what it appears to be, I, I don't know 100% uh, for sure because I mean, Fox is not going to be willing to, to, to just admit that they screwed up on this one. But what it appears to be is that both Fox and Univision didn't realize um, about the time change, basically, or the, or the lack of a time change in Mexico City for this game. So, so Fox had the choice then too, like at the last minute. Okay, do we do a double header where there's just a five minutes of pregame coverage for the USA game, or do we switch the Mexico uh, Costa Rica game to FS2 and then have the pregame coverage on FS1? And the pregame coverage would be for both a little bit for the Mexico game and a little bit for the U.S. game. And so what they did is, is precisely that. They just had the um, U.S. Honduras game on FS1 uh, that kicked off like, at 10.55, I think, by the time it actually kicked off. And then the um, the uh, Mexico-Costa Rica game on FS2. So what ended up... And the Mexico-Costa Rica game ended around 9... For, excuse me, 10.48 uh, Eastern time. Yeah. So they would have had, they, they would have made it, but I guess they wouldn't have had a pregame show. Right. Yeah. And, and TV commercials, forget about it. I mean, once you add a couple of those in, then you've got like two minutes of analysis. So, yeah, that's it. Right. So it to- a total screw up. And, um, what ended up happening then too is the pregame coverage on Fox just dragged. I don't think they were planning on having, uh, up until the last minute, having the pregame ca- coverage last this long, which was, well, almost a couple of hours. So, it just dragged and dragged and dragged. There was a lot of filler. There was very little analysis, very little insights. Um, it, just a lot of commercials. It, I don't know. To me, it was, it was just very, very weak. And, and I think from you, Kartik, from what po- points that you saw, you were coming in late into that pregame, but um, you didn't miss much at all. So a, a total mess up. Um, and it was unfortunate, too, because I'm sure from Fox's point of view, too, to have the double header. Now that they're showing Mexican Mexico games uh, in English, having the doubleheader would have been huge. And as a result, the the viewing audience for the FS2 Mexico Costa Rica game was seventy thousand, which of of course most L3 fans are going to watch it on Univision. I mean, in in Spanish, but still, I'm sure Fox was hoping to get that on F- if they had it on FS1. They were probably thinking, I mean, like 200,000, 300,000, 400,000. Yeah. They had 70,000, which is, I mean, that's less than, I don't know, a Bundesliga game. That, that, that's nothing. So, Chris, let's talk about the television numbers for this game on Friday, because I think it was a, it was a great, great number, all things considered. And, and let's, uh, let's mention the late start time, 10.55 on the East Coast, and that the NCAA tournament was going on at the same time, including for those of us here in the state of Florida, the Flor- University of Florida was playing uh, Wisconsin, was playing the Badgers, and in what was a great game, and a game that ended up uh, going into overtime and lasting longer than the U.S. game. So uh, there was a lot of competition. Uh, 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 on television that night, and yet between uh, Fox uh, or FS1 
uh, Univision Deportes, and I believe the game was on Unimos, not on regular Univision. Um, it, it pulled 1.6 million. Yeah, and actually, it was on Univision too. So it, it was confu- oh, okay, okay. It was confusing. So yeah, it was, uh, yeah Univision, Univers- uh, Univision Deportes, and uh, Unimas. And then the yeah, USA Honduras game had 1.6 million, which so from three different uh, networks, but still a decent number um, for, like you said, to a very busy weekend in terms of uh, basketball. But um, and then on Fox Sports One, so FS1 for the USA Honduras game, they had 579,000, which is pretty decent. I mean, it, it was a late game, and, it, and there was tons of people on the East Coast complaining about the kickoff time being so late. Um, but, uh, and then Univision's 1.6 million was, was very, very good. Yeah. And I, and I think, um, I, I hate to bring this up, but I'm going to that there had been a downturn in television ratings or stagnant, uh, nature of television ratings and also an attendance and ticket sales, a downturn, definitive downturn in ticket sales and, uh, television and, uh, uh attendance under Jurgen Klinsmann. So I think this being Bruce Arena's first qualifier back. There was a curiosity factor. There was the factor of hope. There was a liberation factor of uh, the national team being liberated in a way from Jurgen Klinsmann in, in terms of his, uh, his his reign that just kind of descended into farce at the end. So uh, it, it stimulated a really good television number and uh, a tough circumstance. Now, unfortunately, uh, the Tuesday game, because it was on in English on BN, we're not going to get the same sort of number. Just... That's the expectation right yeah. off the bat. Yeah, and maybe, I don't know, a wild guess is probably, I don't know, 300,000, maybe 400,000 for that one, which, which actually for BN's numbers would be, would be impressive still. Um, but there was confusion about where that game was going to be shown. Um, which the confusion with that, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but I mentioned it in, in the opening of the show, kind of, uh, kind of a comedy of errors. So the comedy of errors on Fox, we've already talked about in terms of the daylight savings time. Uh, from U.S. Soccer, the U.S. Soccer website on Tuesday morning on the main page on the on the home home page of the website, the main headline said uh, basically USA uh, Panama USA to be televised on FS1, Telemundo, and uh, Universo, which was a huge mistake because it was not on FS1; it was on BN Sports. So even U.S. Soccer on their home page on the on the website uh, was putting out. I mean, I mean, they made a mistake, but but still, kind of, I'm sure being sports is probably pissed off in terms of that. You mean just adding more confusion to already confused marketplace in terms of where to watch the U.S. games. Now, now I should point out uh, to to folks that this game was on NBC Universo, also in addition to Telemundo. So I think most people may not know their cha- uh, necessarily what channels they get when they get into the deep deep numbers on their cable system or satellite system, but chances are you got the game, whether it was on Telemundo, Universo, or uh, BN. Right, right, e- e- exactly. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what those final numbers are uh, across all three networks. So so we've talked about the USA, Honduras um, TV numbers. So collectively, so the English language side and the Spanish language side, we're talking about 2.2 million approximately there. Uh, the Mexico-Costa Rica game, um, on FS2, we already mentioned that they had 70,000 for that, which is really disappointing. But on the, the Univision network, so in, in Spanish language, was 3.1 million. So collectively, so it's about 3.1 million for the Mexico, Costa Rica, and then 2.1 for uh, USA against uh, Honduras. Which goes to show Kartik in terms of just even just the popularity of the U.S. national team versus the Mexican national team in the U.S., that at, looking at this, I mean, the, game, the games didn't kick off at, at the same time, but this is kind of a good, a good sample. 
Of course, Univision benefits from being over the air, um, but approximately a million extra viewers for the Mexican game. Yeah, that's that, that's about right, I think. And I think that that's where, if you're talking about hardcore audiences that are going to tune in for uh, games that are qualifiers that may not be, may creep up when there are other sporting events going on, uh, that is a uh, um, that is a good one. Yeah, plus, plus I think it's the mainstream too. So you look at the mainstream audience and when the World Cup comes around, they're, they're in. I mean, they're, they're watching those games, they're, they're interested. Um, and then when it's World Cup qualifiers, maybe they, they, they're looking at the headlines on, I don't know, some uh, ESPN.com or whatever it is, but they're not plugged in watching those games. Now, the hardcore audience, I mean, the passionate, you mean, died in the wool audience is going to be watching, I mean, the Mexican games, every single game, I mean, cheering them through all, all the way. Um, and the U.S. fans, more casual for the most part, will we'll, we'll, we'll dive in into the World Cup. Now, the uh, second game, Carter, uh, Panama against USA, um, I caught the first half of this match. I actually missed the second half of, of the match. But um, from what I could see, again, it was uh, a pretty decent performance. Um, I was impressed by Nag- Nagby in terms of uh, not just his... Um, Attacking exploits, but also running back. You mean making some key tackles, uh, as Pulisic too, of course, coming back, just really fighting for the ball. And um, I guess at the end of the day, I didn't see the second half, but at the end of the day, I think a one-one draw away against Panama uh, is a decent result. And and I think I think I, I'm sure U.S. fans would love to have had the win, but uh, in the scheme of things, is is that kind of a fair result? Yeah, I, I thought it was a, a very poorly officiated game. Uh, both both teams had a hard time with the officials, so uh, I guess that evens out. If there are enough bad calls to go against both sides, then it evens out is, is the, how we look at it. Yeah, I thought it was a pretty fair result. Pulisic was brilliant. His, uh, his ball control, his uh, ability to pick out a pass, his, uh, his, his willingness to make... Uh, I think very incisive and dangerous runs are, are all standing out in CONCACAF because uh, he is playing at an incredibly high level at Dortmund. And for all those U.S. fans that say, oh, well, it really doesn't make a difference. Our guys need to get games. They need to get games in Major League Soccer. So we'd rather have guys like Michael Bradley get games in, in, in Toronto than uh, and I know I'm going back three years with this argument, but still, because I think it applies because Michael Bradley was particularly bad in this game. Uh, we, they need, we'd rather him get games in Toronto than sit the bench at Roma. But there is a value if Michael Bradley is at AS Roma and he is tra- training with Daniel De Rossi and Francesco Totti every single day and learning their game and understanding their game and having to, to play at that level. Something I noticed in this match is that Michael Bradley cannot play at the same speed, uh, both uh, in terms of uh, pace and in terms of, uh, of uh thought and uh, quickness of decision-making that Christian Pulisic can. And that's a problem for the U.S. going forward. And perhaps that, that means that Michael Bradley needs to be dropped uh, or, or you need to find out some, some, some other solution to work around that because uh, this, to me, was a, a very clear example. Pulisic is 18. He's at Borussia Dortmund. He's playing regularly, uh, largely due to injuries to Maria Goetze or Maria Goetze's mysterious illness, which uh, is very unfortunate and, and hopefully will get uh, uh, solved. And Marco Royce has another injury. So um, 
he's playing an awful lot. He had worked his way into getting playing time anyway, even with those guys fit, but now he's starting matches playing 90 minutes instead of the, the 25, 30 minutes he was before. He, that is one of the top 10 clubs in Europe right now, and it shows when he comes up against CONCACAF defenses with uh, guys who are playing in Major League Soccer and the Panamanian League, which is where the Pan- Panama's defense plays. Same thing with Honduras. They're playing in the Honduran League or in Major League Soccer. And uh, it's become... And most of those guys aren't even playing in the Mexican League, in Liga MX, which is a better league than MLS. And it shows. Mm-hmm. So um, that's that's my take on it. And uh, I know we're going back three years, but the Michael Bradley decline in even his thought in de- his thought process and decision-making, speed of decision-making, began when he left Roma and came to MLS. I, I, I don't think it can even be questioned at this point that that was a bad move for him. Now, for some other players, it's worked out because they've gotten playing time, they've regained their confidence. It's worked out for Josie Altidore. I don't think it's worked out for Michael Bradley. Yeah, I mean, many of his passes, even in that first half, were just just very telegraphed. I mean, it was easy to kind of uh, for the de- uh, defenders to kind of spot the spot because the you've passes. got you've got guys like uh, now. There's always been a problem. You and I have discussed this. Well, I guess it wasn't on. Uh, well, maybe it was on this show. You, or you, you wouldn't be on it, but it would be with Dupoon and, and and Lawrence and uh, Chris Hanage and whoever else. But talked repeatedly uh, on previous uh, incarnations of World Soccer Talk podcast about Michael Bradley not being able to read Clint Dempsey's movement and how uh, Bradley just doesn't play well with Dempsey because Dempsey is a more dynamic player, right, and not a static player. Now you add Pulisic. Uh, to that, uh, to that, uh, mix. And Pulisic and Dempsey are 100% on the same page, as we've seen the, these two matches. I mean, it's a magical combination right now. And Josie Altador is doing his part as a foil, uh, because he's, uh, his move to Major League Soccer hasn't gone as badly from an international standpoint as Bradley's has. Uh, it's becoming very obvious. Bradley telegraphs passes, gives the ball away. Is is uh, is trying to pass to a static position or to a place where he anticipates the player will be, but the player is making a different movement. So I think it's speed of decision making, and Bradley is the problem, in my opinion. The uh, challenge for the U.S. is is who to replace Bradley with in the future. I mean, in the past we had what Claudio Reyna. I mean, we've had some really uh, some decent creative midfielders, and uh, that's always a tough position, especially um, especially on this side of the, of the Atlantic, yeah, I, somebody with that I, skill set. I keep hearing from people who follow the Scottish League that Perry Kitchen is the best player, best uh, central midfielder right now in the uh, SPFL or whatever its acronym is now. But look, I, I mean, you, I'm talking about Major League Soccer being a, a step down. The Scottish League right now is a step below Major League Soccer not in many phone. ways. Right. Yeah, so I'm, I'm not sure that Perry Kitchen's the answer, but that is an option. He's playing regularly at, at Hearts, and he's... Uh, He's apparently, um, and again, I don't watch Scottish games, So, uh, but I talked to several people who watch Celtic, Celtic fans and Rangers fans, and um, they tell me Kitchen is really, really good in that league. But again, it's that league. Yeah, so while uh, Pulisic had a, a, another great game, I mean, w- what a bright star this is. Um, another person that had a man-of-the-match performance, I thought, Kartik, in this one, and I think you missed it because you watched the, the Telemundo coverage of the game, but was uh, Jay Demerit who is a surprise uh, co-commentator for this match, uh, teamed up with Phil Shane. And he did an extraordinarily great job. I mean, he really fit in, uh, seemed like a natural, and was good. I mean, he, he provided the analysis. Um, it was some expert opinions in terms of talking about kind of defensively some of the things he was noticing, um, talking about midfield in terms of kind of uh, the shape of the team and just uh, he, how he was worried that they were uh, kind of uh, – too far apart. Um, some really good analysis, and um, 
it seems like a natural. I, I I think Jay, if he keeps this up, he could go a long way uh, to be in one of the top uh, co-commentators uh, in this country. Yeah, I, I, he's done a game or two before. Maybe it was for VN, and I really liked his. Uh, or maybe he was in the studio. Was that what it was? But um, I thought he did a very, very good job. And uh, if you could pair a guy like that with uh, uh, Della Camera regularly, people like Della Cam- Camera, people like... Uh, John Strong, that brings the best out of these uh, uh, these co-commentators, these former players, and I think uh, it also gives them a comfort level. I, you, you hit it on the head with uh, Landon Donovan's pairing with JP Della Camera during the um, during the, uh, the goal, excuse me, the Copa America. How well that went to uh, to, to develop Landon as a co-commentator, and I think it's the uh, same thing with guys like Jay Demerick who don't have that much. In, uh, that much uh, experience in the booth. Mm-hmm. I, I I didn't uh, get to watch a lot of the pregame on this one um, on BN Sports. Uh, my daughter was, was having a, a, a practice session for soccer, so I didn't get home too late. Um, but what I did see was was impressive. I thought it was a solid job from the team that they had, and it was a whole cast of of uh, new faces that we're not used to seeing on BN Sports, but we are used to seeing on, on other networks. So Kevin Kevin Egan uh, hosting, who who I thought did a great job. He's he's works hard at that position and does extre- extremely well. And on the set, then in terms of the analysts that they had, they had Leslie Osborne, uh, Jovan Karoski, and uh, Carlos Bocanegra. And uh, out of those three uh, analysts that are on the set, I thought uh, Bocanegra did did a great job, especially at halftime, uh, looking at kind of uh, Tim Ream's mistakes from that uh, throw-in and just looking at the de- uh, defense and kind of pointing out some of the things that they should have been doing. Um, so so all in all, it was a decent uh, showing, I think, from being sports. And, and I think in terms of professional uh, level, I think that they're up there um, and, and, and improving, um, I mean, game in, game out. What about uh, Telemundo, Kartik? How was the coverage there? Oh, it was, it was very good, which is, uh, which is a good sign because, of course, they have the World Cup this time. It's not on Univision as far as Spanish language. They did, they did quite well. I thought the commentators were solid. Andres Cotter popped into the studio, which was nice. Uh, they were very, um, they were very, very, I think, uh, had a, had a difficult time with, with, with the flow of the game, the uh, Telemundo announcers, because they're, the flow was killed by a referee that either didn't make calls or had a quick whistle. I mean, it was, it, there was no, and, and didn't pull out any, any cards. There wasn't a sing, um, I, I don't know. Was there a single booking in this game? I don't think there was. I didn't see um, one in the first half. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think there was one in the second half either. So, um, basically, uh, it was a very good broadcast though. A crisp broadcast. Uh, Telemundo had the Mexico, uh, the Mexico Trinidad and Tobago game on before, which was very controversial. Uh, Mexico was, uh, excuse me, TNT was robbed of a point. Jovan Jones had a great goal, a golasso that was uh, ruled offside, even though there were two Mexican players behind him. So that was unfortunate, but they did a very good job. And th- this is a lesson for Fox, uh, maybe, maybe for the future. They did a very good job of transitioning from that game in their pregame show, bringing Cantor on the set, talking about the United States, uh, talking about Panama, uh, giving uh, giving a, a little bit of a, of a background on uh, where the U.S. was going under Bruce Arena, what was going on with uh, the Panamanian national team, who's had a lot of players uh, uh, in the last year or two go back to the Panamanian League, particularly from Major League Soccer, had uh, just uh, have to 
when they were in the Gold Cup final in 2015, or should have been the final, right? They got robbed in that game against Mexico, that infamous game in Atlanta. Uh, the core of their team was playing in Major League Soccer. Now they still have a few guys there, but uh, several guys have come back to Panama, which puts them in a, in, in a position where I think this is their window shutting. They've had a really good run, the best generation of football in Panamanian history. But we know how we all remember how they missed the World Cup last time, how uh, how close they were, and then of course that Gold Cup, which uh, they were robbed in, and, and chances are they would have beaten Jamaica in the final. So uh, it, this is it for them, and, and there was a lot of discussion of that, and um, they uh, they got a point in this game. So I, I thought Telemundo's coverage was very good. I'm sure BN, which I didn't didn't really watch, was. Uh, was pretty good as well. I mean, I think here is the problem, Chris, I think with a lot of fans of the sport, core fans of the sport, any, any broadcast looks good in their mind when compared with Fox. Now, I don't know if that's fair, but people have their reasons for feeling that way. And they're going to give, uh, particularly coming off the heels of Fox and what we talk about uh, on Friday night being a clown show in their studio, coming off that, off the back end of that, I think both Telemundo and BN would have passed a very basic test for most fans watching because it wasn't Fox. Yeah, it's different styles, really. I mean, I mean, each each network has their own style, and uh, I, th- I think tries hard to ha- to have their own style. And Fox, again, love them or hate them, they have their own style. Um, Telemundo and, and Universo, t- uh, two definitely can't take that we're going to be cl- keeping a close eye on, uh, especially with uh, Confederations Cup this summer too. I mean, you've got uh, they'll be broadcasting the games as well as Fox, as well as the World Cup, and. Um, and actually, Kartik, I think we've been invited down to the Telemundo uh, Universal Studios in, in the next couple of months to kind of meet with them and kind of check out the studio setup and, and learn more about what they'll be doing. So so that'll be interesting, and I'm sure we'll share that with uh, the listeners. In oh, terms of that. That's, ex- that's exciting. I look forward to that. So what about uh, ESPN FC, Kartik? I know uh, you, I often, I always want to watch the show, but just never find the time to watch it. Um, how did they do in terms of coverage of um, these World Cup qualifiers and, and the USA games? That's kind of different for me. I mean, they, uh, for, for whatever reason, I, I, I turned this on before I turned games on, it seems like these days. Um, I, Hercules Gomez, uh, contributed a lot in the studio this week, uh, with Dan Thomas hosting, but it is just exclusively on segments related to the U.S. men's national team. He's very good, very polished. Uh, and that again comes from his Gold Cup experience with, uh, excuse me, not Gold Cup. I keep thinking it was a Gold Cup, uh, Copa America experience with Fox this previous summer. Uh, but, um, I guess he's not comfortable enough with European football or South American football that when they talk uh, UEFA or Comnibal, he's off the set. Uh, but he was pretty good. Uh, Craig Burley ripped, absolutely ripped the ease of CONCACAF qualifying because he feels like the hex it, half the teams get in and then you've got a fourth team that's in a playoff and naturally you have two weak teams, so basically everybody makes it, is, is his philosophy. Now Alejandro Moreno and Hercules Gomez pushed back on that saying, hey, there's a, there's a qualifying process to get to that hex. But he said, look, in Europe you have one team that makes it out. Yes, in South America half the teams make it, but they're all good. Now this time, time around they're all good other than Venezuela. Venezuela really struggling. But nine of the ten teams are good. So there are four, four teams that would probably, let's be honest, probably would qualify in CONCACAF that don't qualify from counting the ball. Uh, so Burley's made the suggestion, well maybe they, they need to merge into, into calm the ball. Uh, my feeling has always been, it's easier to have two final qualifying groups. The reason that doesn't happen, and you separate the U.S. and Mexico, the reason that doesn't happen is the television uh, phenomena of U.S. versus Mexico and how big a game it's been 
And if you can have two, um, two competitive matches, but the U.S. and Mexico play enough friendlies against each other, but two competitive U.S.-Mexico games that are qualifiers, it's a cash cow for CONCACAF, it's a cash cow for uh, whoever's marketing, Game Soccer United marketing, etc., and they're never going to give that up. So that's the reason that happens. In fairness, you could say, well, that's CONCACAF's corruption. In fairness, part of the reason why there are balance groups in UEFA, Chris, and you know this uh, as well as anyone, is because they separate uh, five or six of the countries for TV purposes. So England, in- England, France, Italy, Spain, the Netherlands, and who would be this? Germany. Those six countries that have the largest television audiences, largest television contracts with UEFA uh, cannot be in the same group with one exception. So uh, two of them can be paired together, but then the other four will have to be separated is how it works. So this time Italy and uh, Spain have been uh, paired together. Wait a second, Netherlands and France together. Maybe it's not Netherlands. Maybe it's someone else. Or maybe it's just those five. Uh, that's why, because the Netherlands are the smaller, smaller country. But Germany, Italy, Spain... England, France, uh, with one exception, are always separated for television purposes. Now, that's a new phenomena because UEFA just consolidated the television contracts in the last uh, go-round of negotiations. But that is something that UEFA is doing. So uh, they were pretty good on that. And then I, I want to jump ahead and, and, and mention that uh, they had a really interesting television rating, great uh, gr- great show on uh um, Saturday on Sunday night, which allowed you to see all the highlights of UEFA and Comdebol qualifiers that you might have missed, which I might I had missed from Thursday and Comdebol and Friday, Saturday, Sunday in UEFA, and that show actually had a a really surprisingly high rating of of almost uh of eighty thousand viewers uh, live, which was uh, a stunner because ESPN FC never gets that kind of number. Yeah, uh, that's interesting because I, di- I didn't even hear anything about that in terms of any publicity to let people know that that was even out there. Which, which it's a great I don't, idea. It's, it's so many I don't think, I don't think I, I don't think that there was any publicity about it. I think it just sort of happened, and right. maybe people realized because it's not like uh, club football where. If you're a Premier League fan, you get to see everything because you have NBC. Or you're a uh, uh, La Liga fan, you get to see just about everything on BN. And 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 uh, and BN, of course, doesn't share their highlights with the ESPN FC program, so you're not going to see La Liga highlights on on the weekly on the right. Sunday night wrap up ESPN FC show. They had their Sunday night wrap up show. Now, granted, it was a half an hour earlier than usual. It's usually at midnight. It was at 11:30, but for some reason, there was this natural move of people watching it. Yeah, so speaking of uh, UEFA, so I watched the England-Lithuania game, and uh, it was a really kind of uh, slow slow boil, really. It was just kind of really a slow and cumbersome uh, performance. But uh, it was great to see Jermaine Defoe back in action and uh, seeing him scoring. Uh, he definitely adds you know, a whole new level to England's attack. Uh, I also watched the uh, Wales against Ireland game, um, I think from Friday, Thursday or Friday. And this one I watched on ESPN3, and... Um, Disappointing performance aside for Wales. I mean, this this game unfortunately was summed up by just one uh, horrific tackle, Neil Taylor on Seamus Cole, uh, Coleman, and I think uh, Seamus had a I think a triple uh, leg break in in that one from this uh, horrendous uh, tackle. And when it happened, it, it happened actually watching it uh, real time. Uh, when it happened, yes, it looked like a bad tackle, but I was waiting for the replay. I was like, okay, well, let me see. Because he got a red card just within a minute or two and walked off the pitch. And I was like, okay, let me see the, re- the replay. They never showed the replay on this one. Uh, in hindsight, for good reason, because it must have been pretty horrific in terms of um, seeing the leg break. But um, I just thought that was interesting that they didn't show that. 
Um, but it was a rough and dirty game, even from the first half, too. Ireland was putting in elbows and forearms. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a bad result for Wales, and it definitely hurts their chances of qualifying for the World Cup. Now, uh, Comma Bowl, Kartik, I watched a bunch of these games. Um, but the challenge with Comma Bowl, though, too, is that almost whenever there's a game on, it's always overlapping with another game from Comma Bowl. So, yeah, yeah. So yeah. one game starts at four, the next one starts at five, it starts every hour. So four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, it goes all the way through. There's so many games, and it's just, um, a challenge, not just for the TV viewer, but also for being in sports as far as figuring out, okay, which game, because you, you can't have back-to-back-to-back games. So you're going to have one channel on the English one, one on the Spanish, and there's always people that are not happy because I mean, maybe they don't have access to the Spanish, uh, being in sports uh, in Espanol. Um, it's a mess. It's a mess. Um, but in terms of the, go- the games, uh, I watched the Brazil against Uruguay game from last week. Um, it was interesting in this one in terms of uh, Carlos Ruiz, was the co-commentator. So B in sports is, uh, I guess, uh, I guess experimenting a lot. Uh, Ruiz during the game was, was pretty decent, but he's definitely rough around the edges. Um, doesn't look like he's had a lot of uh, training in terms of doing co-commentary, at least in, in English. And, uh, at halftime, they were doing the halftime highlights and he was all over the place. He didn't know what to say. It was just a mess. But uh, Phil Shane tried to help him as much as possible. But uh, possibly he could do well in the future. Um, it just, I think he just needs a lot of work before he gets to be kind of um, a better product or a better listen, listen on the uh, commentaries. And then um, let me see if there's any other games that pop out in terms of ones I watched that had anything interesting uh, from Commable. Um Nope, that's about it. And then the last but not least, Kartik. Actually, two, two games last but not least. One is I watched uh, Iran against China uh, on ESPN3. And uh, I watched this one because it was a big game for both both countries. Um, China eventually lost this game 1-0. And that, that could have a big blow on their chances of qualifying for um, the next World Cup, uh, which would be huge. Uh, but also, I mean, he had Marcello Lippi as the, the China coach and uh, Carlos Queiroz for uh, Iran. So you had uh, kind of two masterminds in coaching coming up against each other. Uh, officially, the game had 80,000 in attendance. Unofficially, it was about 100,000 because on top of the uh, stadium, they had a, a wall that went around the entire stadium. They had thousands and thousands of fans that probably got in for nothing and just sat on the wall, like, you mean, I don't know, like, like 10 stories up looking down at this game. So from the TV viewer perspective, it was a great game to watch. The game itself wasn't that good, but uh, Iran got a huge uh, three points in this one. Yeah, uh, Car- Carlos Quiroz, one of four former Metro Stars managers, along with Bruce Arena, uh, uh, Car- uh, Juan Carlos Osorio, and uh, Octavio Zambrano, now the new head coach of Canada, uh, managing in uh, international football now. And, and all three North American nations, Canada, uh, the U.S., and Mexico, have former Metro Stars coaches. Uh, so that's, uh, that's got, well, interesting. All I get. Uh, they were already Red Bull by the time uh, Juan Carlos Osorio managed them. So Red Bull slash uh, uh, Metro Stars. And then lastly, uh, I watched uh, I watched uh, Fortuna Horing against Manchester City uh, the women's team uh, on MyCujo.tv, and we talked about this last week. Um, it was great to see Carly Lloyd getting the the winner in this game. So um, so that that was something different. But all in all, it was a crazy 
actually usually international breaks are boring as hell, but this one to me was actually really exciting because there were re- a lot of meaningful games, a lot of um, you mean a lot of games where it, we're getting down to kind of you know towards the end or three quarters of the way through uh, the qualifying process and uh, things are starting to get uh, hot and heavy out there. Yeah, certainly, and a great goal for Carly Moyd in that. I, I couldn't remember if we discussed that last week on the show or not, but I watched it. I believe I watched it last Wednesday. I can't remember. Yeah, it was but a, maybe maybe it was after we did the show. It was after we did the show. Yeah, I think it was on the Thursday. I think, but uh, yeah, maybe it was Thursday. It's like a whirlwind yeah. of a week. So, so speaking of uh, whirlwinds, uh, International Champions Cup is coming to the U.S. this summer. Uh, we already know that uh, for El Clasico Miami, there's over 46,000 tickets uh, that went on sale that have been sold. And in addition to that, uh, a lot of the pre-sales have started this week. So we've got a ton of information about the pre-sale codes on worldsoccertalk.com uh, and, and a whole bunch of other information about how to get tickets to International Champions Cup. Uh, it's a hot ticket, definitely, with all these major teams coming. So, so buying tickets to sports uh, can be very complicated at times, but there is a simpler, better way to buy, and that's with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to live events. With SeatGeek's seamless uh, mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. Uh, they help you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. And it's nothing like uh, seeing your favorite football club uh, in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. So I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and it's by far the easiest way I've found to, find, to shop for tickets, especially for International Champions Cup for ICCC. So I can be anywhere, and just with a few taps, I can uh, instantly find seats. So it's designed to save you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. And to get the most bang for your buck, uh, SeatGeek grades every ticket based on value to help you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed. So, to Will Soccer Talk listeners, you get $20 uh, rebate off your first SeatGeek purchase. To get your rebate on tickets, download the SeatGeek app on uh, iPhone or Android. Go to the Settings tab and click Add a Promo Code, and then enter promo code WSTPOD. That's WSTPOD. And then SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Now, Kartik, um, let's move on to the next segment, which is talking about TV streaming news. And the first one is some big news out of the uh, southeastern United States. Yeah, so Fox Sports South has announced their inaugural, or Atlanta United has announced their inaugural local broadcast team for coverage on Fox Sports South. And it's a star-studded team. So you've got... Uh, Alan Green coming over from the BBC, uh, BBC Radio. Those of you who've listened to Five Live for years know who he is. Uh, probably revere the guy. He's going to be the lead uh, play-by-play announcer for um, Atlanta United, or commentators they call it, as the British call it, after the Champions League final in Cardiff. He won't be coming over until then. Until then, Kevin Egan, who we've just talked about, would be in sports. The excellent Kevin Egan who has a lot of experience in Major League Soccer from his time with the Chicago Fire, will be calling the games uh, on Fox Sports South. Uh, Brittany Arnold will be joining him. She's also from BN. And uh, Dan Gargan will be the co-commentator, uh, former MLS player, former uh, player in USL as well. A very, very good up-and-coming uh, studio, uh, color analyst has worked in studios before. And um, I think it's very, very uh, 
interesting that Atlanta continues to make these uh, these hirings now even on the broadcast side that make make you say, "Wow, we didn't know an MLS team was capable of this." And, and certainly, bringing over uh, uh, Alan Green is not something that uh, most MLS teams would be capable of. So that's a that's a huge hiring, and it should be uh, should be very good. Uh, seeing Alan Green on television will be interesting as well. Uh, again, that's Fox Sports South. The reason why they didn't announce until now is because Atlanta United has had uh, all of its games on national television to this point. Yeah, and uh, Brittany Arnold is going to be also kind of the, uh, I guess, the, the the YouTube or the TV channel for Atlanta United. Right. A lot of in-house video doing, doing that too, as well as being the sideline reporter. Alan Green, it's a great hire, Kartik, and it's um, a smart move by uh, Atlanta United, taking advantage of actually Alan Green, because he has family in the U.S., so he's, he's here every summer anyway. And they probably thought, okay, let's, let's at least approach him, see if he be, might be interested in taking on kind of, uh, doing some commentating of games after the Champions League. And I mean, it's, it's yeah, a relatively easy job in terms of kind of stepping into those shoes. So, so that's the reason why I think, I think uh, in many ways they went for him. And I guess, I guess as I, as I, uh, recall the release, I don't have it in front of me. I believe Brittany Arnold is actually leaving BN yeah. and yeah. now working full time for Atlanta United, which is great. So you have an experienced seasoned person as your in-house uh, host for Atlanta United TV. So many, and I know this, and I've been guilty of this because I've, I've worked in communications in the sport in the United States. So often you just hire someone in-house who doesn't have the television background or just wants to be on camera to do that job. And uh, Atlanta United's gone out and hired someone with uh, a great deal of on-camera experience and experience in the sport to do it. So uh, more more big moves from... Uh, uh, from Atlanta United, uh, uh, a club that uh, managed by Tata Martino has gotten off to a pretty good start and uh, wants to be, I think, MLS's first iconic global brand. And these moves help make that happen. Yeah, yeah, definitely smart moves uh, on and off the pitch from Atlanta United. Speaking of uh, smart moves on and off the pitch, um, a piece of news is that a couple of weeks ago, when I mentioned we, we mentioned Sportel, the the convention in Miami for uh, TV buyers and sellers of, of rights. Um, I had a chance to interview uh, the Bayern Munich America's president, and um, the interview and actually article is on the website on worldsoccertalk.com. But uh, a couple of the key points that came out of this was that um, I asked him, I said, okay, would the Bundesliga be open to shifting some time slots in the future in terms of making some games more attractive to viewers in Asia or North America or around the world? And he didn't rule it out. He didn't say yes. He didn't say no. But um, it basically depends on the markets, and that's something they would have to take a look at. So, so re- reading into that, it could be that he didn't want to come out and say, "Okay, absolutely not. We, we would never change that." And and vice versa, he didn't come out and say, "Yes, we, we're we're going to do that." So eh, yeah, it's it's a possibility, but I didn't get much. Uh, I wasn't really convinced by that in terms of uh, positivity, like thinking that they're going to change things up. But at least they're they're considering it or looking at it. Um, the other piece of news too is that um, he just mentioned in terms of the amount of work that Bayern Munich does, um, not just to promote the club throughout the Americas, you know, North America and South America, working with the fan clubs um, and having having representatives from the club uh, tour. Uh, United States for different fan events, etc. But he also talked about just video, and he said that um, on a daily basis, uh, Bayern Munich, the club, is sending exclusive videos uh, to Fox Sports on a daily basis, giving them as much content as they can possibly want. 
we don't see a lot of that, but at least there's that kind of, uh, they're, they're trying to help in terms of, uh, giving Fox access to a lot of video, some, some of it exclusive, some of it not, but ways to promote, uh, Bayern Munich, uh, as well, uh, as well as other clubs, I'm sure from, other, uh, I'm sure they get video from other clubs in the United States. Now, Kartik, speaking, speaking of the Bundesliga, um, they had an announcement this week, uh, about a new campaign. Yeah, I got this email in my inbox this morning from the Bundesliga, uh, and which I'm sure you got as well, uh, discussing the Goal Mania campaign. And, and basically what this is going to be is between the next uh, three match days, they're going to advertise uh, 10 days, 27 matches between March 31st and April 9th. They have a midweek uh, match day coming up this uh, this week, which... Um, is uh, something that's happening in a lot of European leagues uh, uh, the, coming off the international break. So you're going to have games including uh, Munich and Borussia Dortmund, which is the biggest match uh, from a table standpoint in, in German football over the course of the last six or seven seasons. And that's, uh, that's a highlight of it, as well as the River Derby between Schalke and Borussia Dortmund. The, the, uh, uh, the press release I got from the Bundesliga, uh, I don't know if it was geared towards the American audience because it, it highlighted Christian Pulisic uh, on here. Now, of course, it, it uh, has Obama Young at the top in, in talking about the, uh, the, the derby with Schalke, but at the bottom in the infograph, the key quartet, it has Obama Yang as one of the two uh, Borussia Dortmund players along with Christian Pulisic. So I don't know if it's uh, geared specifically to the American audience or they're genuinely putting him in there because, as I mentioned earlier, Goetze and Royce are both out currently. So uh, that's, the, that's the way they're promoting it. And I think maybe... Maybe they realize in the American market the Pulisic thing is is uh, is their opportunity to break through because he is in their league and they're going to ride it as long as they have him. Yeah, it's a hook. It's it's a big hook uh, to try to try to attract viewers. Uh, Christian Seifert, who's the CEO of uh, the Bundesliga, was in New York I think last week and and uh, was interviewed by Grant Wall and in Sports Illustrated uh, they talked about uh, Seifert talked about um, the Bundesliga wanting to hire or sign more young American stars. So it's definitely um, a, a place that, that uh, the Bundesliga is going to be welcoming uh, any U.S. stars. Well, well, there are th- th- three guys right now that have been signed, as I mentioned, on, uh, on uh, that, uh, that I haven't mentioned, but I'm, I'm mentioning now, um, that have been signed uh, to Schalke, who are now beginning to get uh, action with a reserve team and even looks with the first team in friendlies. In addition to that, uh, you remember when we were in Germany, the Leverkusen CEO asked us, uh, for who the best young American player for them to sign would be. Mm-hmm. Remember that? Yeah. That was a, uh, that, that was something he asked us directly. Hey, if you have someone, send them our way. So that, I think that's a point of emphasis in Germany right now. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it goes beyond marketing though, too. I mean, I think, uh, Pulisic is a good example of seeing somebody who is a star talent. You I mean, so it's not just about getting pl- people they're going to bring in TV viewers, but, um, it's fr- young, fresh talent. Uh, and hopefully, I mean, with some good coaching, good training, that they can move up to to the highest level. So um, it's interesting to, to and, and actually we'll get we'll, we'll be getting into the Bundesliga in a little bit in more detail. 
Uh, and last but not least, Kartik, in terms of uh, another interview I did this past week, this is with the, uh, the CEO of uh, MyCujo, which is the uh, streaming site uh, we mentioned that uh, did the Man City game, the women's game. And um, I'm going to be publishing the article in the next week, but essentially their take is is that what they're positioning themselves as is they said that there's, there's tons of soccer coverage, whether it's the Premier League, Bundesliga, MLS, you go down the list. But there's so many games that that only represents about 5% of the games played. There's another 95% of games that are played around the world that are never shown um, or not. It, it's not easy to find coverage of those games. So what they're focused on is trying to give uh, soccer fans the ability to go to visit their website for free. There's no charge and watch games from around the world. And then on the back end, then they're working with the clubs in terms of um, the clubs pay Cujo uh, to basically stream the games and um, I mean, provide awareness around the world of those clubs' games uh, to an audience. So it's a different take, and it's an interesting take. What he did say, he didn't mention names, but he did say that he's in talks with some clubs from North America, and uh, in the near future, he's hoping to, to do some deals with some clubs. So is that USL? Is that... Uh, uh, you mean, is that the lower leagues than that? Or is it, you mean, there's some opportunities there, Kartik, for games that maybe aren't televised that could, could find some airtime. What are your thoughts on that in terms of, uh, whether it's, um, lower league, um, US soccer? You mean, is there an opportunity then? And would there be enough uh, viewers to make it worthwhile? There's content, but I think what we're finding with the lower leagues of American soccer is the only people who watch the games are, are fans of those specific teams. So there isn't really a national following for either USL or uh, NASL. I, I think both leagues like to think they have a national following, but uh, it's it's very, very niche. Uh, but if, you, if you're looking to fill content and get some viewers... Uh, based on local viewers and in, in, in out of, uh, uh, who are away. Yes, I, I think, uh, I think it is, it is a good content filler. Yeah. And, and, and they're not focused on like big numbers. They're focused on kind of the long tail. So, uh, just providing access, access. So, so somebody could watch whether it's women's soccer or a lot of it is lower division soccer. I mean, you look at England as one example, League One and League Two games are not televised in, in the U.S. So those leagues and those clubs are missing out on a worldwide potential of a lot of viewers. Now, that might be too big for Cujo. Maybe Cujo is looking at some uh, lower divisions of I don't know, French leagues, Swiss leagues, U.S. leagues. Uh, but it's just an opportunity for soccer fans to be able to actually watch these games. Um, the example he gave was uh, Bo- Boa Vista uh, from Portugal, which was his club, one of the top four clubs in Portugal. And they got relegated to the third tier. And he wasn't able to watch any of the games on television. So that was kind of his inspiration to, to kind of think of like, well, how is that possible? You I mean, it's not fair that, you mean, this is big club. Uh, they've been relegated, but he can't actually watch games on television or, or, or online. So, so that was one of his inspirations for starting up this model to uh, provide coverage. Um, you mean, no matter where that team is up, up or down the league. Um, for access, but it's, it's an interesting take, and, and again, we'll have more information in the next week on worldsoccertalk.com. Now, Kartik, moving on to the next segment, TV ratings. Uh, we talked about this last week, but we didn't have the number, and we said Manchester City against Liverpool, NBC on a Sunday, uh, taking advantage of the the daylight saving time that the that, that the UK hadn't started up on it. So for us, it was twelve thirty Eastern time to two thirty Eastern time. Uh, very little competition, and I think we predicted 
I think a million plus. And we said, okay, we'll have to wait and see what that number is. It should be a big one. Uh, what was that number, Kartik? Uh, it was just over a million. It was, uh, I think it was pretty disappointing. 1.022 million was that final number, but, uh, I guess it cleared the million threshold. We talked about Premier League ratings being stagnant. Here's another example. Yeah, yeah, it's, it was pretty decent. I, I mean, that's, I mean, the game itself, I don't know, I don't know. If, if it was kind of, I don't know, if, if it was a race for first, I mean, Chelsea's so far ahead. I mean, we talked about this probably about two months ago. We said, okay, the title race is over. That, that's it. Chelsea's got it. Um, so if the match was more meaningful in terms of at least kind of fighting for first place, I think that would have gotten a bump. But, uh, so I was, I wasn't disappointed, but I was glad it was over a million. But yeah, it could have been higher, definitely. And then uh, other TV TV ratings for this past week. Uh, just a couple to pull out here too. Uh, England against Lithuania. I mentioned I watched that game. It was on FS2 um, on that Sunday, last Sunday, and that had 146,000 uh, viewers, um, which kind of goes to show two things. I think FS2, you mean how few people watch that network, but also England, how little interest there is really in the in the national team. And then uh, the second thing is is that um, it was actually it was the same number uh, the viewing audience 146,000 for the New York Red Bulls against Real Salt Lake game which was on uh, Unamas on Saturday afternoon I think it was at four Eastern I think it was and in Kartik uh, what about Germany Azerbaijan yeah that that got a, a pretty decent number of 194,000 on ESPN2 was on at the same time as England Lithuania. And as I mentioned earlier, ESPN FC uh, that night had 80,000, 79,000 viewers, which is much higher than usual. Okay, so moving on to the next segment, which is listener mailbags. So we've got a couple of emails from listeners. Uh, the first is from Scott from McAllen, Texas. And he writes, uh, I had the Mexico against Costa Rica game in English on my phone on Fox Sports Go, and I heard a familiar wail coming from my phone. Uh, when a close call would happen in the match. Did Fox bring in a Univision commentator for that game alongside Kobe Jones? It was odd to hear when you're used to hearing him in Spanish. So the answer to that question is uh, the commentator was uh, Jorge Perez Navarro. And um, I only watched maybe like maybe five minutes of this game, but I was completely sucked into to the commentator too. I thought he did a great job. A very passionate uh, commentator, just pure... Eltree style, I mean, just really, really passionate in a high-pitched game, a fever pitch game. And uh, Navarro, uh, Perez Navarro, uh, has also worked at ESPN Deportes, so definitely has a lot of experience. But that's the answer, Scott, to that question. Now, Kartik, uh, this next question is for you. This is from Anthony Bello, one of our listeners, and he says, any idea why Orlando City stopped syndicating its matches to other Florida markets? Uh, I don't know why. Uh, I haven't gotten an answer from the club. Yet I've I've actually inquired about this, but uh, they have stopped. That's definitive. Uh, I'm not quite sure the reason. And Anthony, I'm, I'm happy to uh, to share it with you and everybody else once I get an answer from the organization. And the next question from him is uh, something that we will answer at the end of this uh, show. But he says, "Do you think that La Liga not playing all of the games at the same time, like the Premier League?" would give them an advantage over other leagues. And we'll dive into that in, in our feature topic of the week. But his last question, or I'll comment Kartik uh, from Anthony, he says, uh, every time I do a Premier League predictor, I get a surprising outcome. Watford either gets relegated or finishes 17th. I know you guys are talking about Bournemouth not being out of the woods yet, 
but Watford has two fewer points than the Cherries, and everybody thinks Watford is safe. And if we are talking about the Premier League relegation, I think the safe number is going to be 34 points. Uh, do you think that's going to be the number, Kartik? Yeah, I think it'll be 34 or 35, and I agree with Anthony. Watford is not out of the woods. I've, uh, I, I think they probably stay up, but they, uh, they have gone through a couple of extended periods in this season where they've been downright terrible. And keep in mind, Kiki Sanchez Flores got sacked after last season when they went through a funk late in the season. They were safe. He had gotten them safe maybe even by Christmas. I mean, they were, they were in the top half for much of the season and he got sacked after they had fallen off in the second half of the season and uh, finished 15th or 16th or something like that. Uh, I, w- I will also point out, though, that Watford made a big run in the FA Cup last season, mm-hmm. which they have not made this season. So uh, they- there is a uh, there is a possibility. I-, I-, I think that that's a good observation. Yeah, yeah, and I'm still worried about Swansea. Uh, they're playing uh, Middlesbrough this weekend, not last weekend, as I mentioned in the last podcast, but this weekend they're playing Borough. If they can beat beat Borough, I think they're okay. I think they should be okay. But uh, if they lose that one, then it could easily be Swansea. It's pulled into the, kind of the, that third team that's relegated. And, and one quick note on this. Uh, I know uh, it seems like Sunderland will eventually and inevitably go down. But until they do, we have a history of four successive great escapes by them. Uh, particularly the one in 2014, which is really a great escape. Uh, until Sunderland is dead and buried, I think the other teams, like uh, Swansea in particular, are going to be looking over their shoulder because yep. uh, there's just that history. Exactly. So if you do have any questions, uh, feedback or comments about the show, or about anything related to soccer <coughs> coverage on TV, online or apps, uh, send us an email and we will we'll, uh, read it out on air. It's uh, email address is web at worldsoccertalk.com. Uh, Twitter is WSoccerTalk, and then Facebook is Facebook.com slash WorldSoccerTalk. So, Kartik, our final segment of the show, it's our featured topic of the week. It's talking about Bundesliga's global growth strategy. So I mentioned a, a couple of episodes, a couple of segments ago, that uh, Christian Seifert, who's the CEO of the Bundesliga, was in New York City last week to make a presentation uh, at a conference. And here or there, he went ahead and launched his strategy. So the strategy is that um, they're launching an innovation and growth strategy, and the, mo- the main focus is is, uh, is on improving technology and media. So here's what they're going to do. Starting next season, uh, the Bundesliga will have a video assistant referee for all games. Uh, the Bundesliga is also testing UHD HDR technology, which is better than 4K. It's it's different than the HDR HDR that, uh, on our, on our phones. It's supposed to be the picture quality is much better. The whiters, the whites are whiter. The dark colors are darker. So visually, a much better um, yeah, view of, of a game in terms of uh, kind of uh, more high res, really. And then they're also testing robotic cameras. So you're thinking, well, I'm thinking that that's probably going to help out in terms of maybe uh, replays or uh, maybe to benefit some of the um, the referees with the video assistant referees, perhaps. They didn't go into a lot of detail about that. And they're also la- launching a brand ambassadors program uh, soon, which will feature uh, Lothar Mateus, uh, Jens Lehmann, and others that will be focusing on the slogan, football as it's meant to be. So, now the Bundesliga's plan is all well and good, but it avoids the elephant in the room. And that's the reason I think that the league is suffering um, in the US and is 
only has 74,000 uh, average viewing um, audience per game. And that is that almost all of the games are at the same time and they clash with the games from the Premier League. So if you look at La Liga, La Liga as an example, and this goes back to one of the questions from the listener mailbag, but the Spanish top flight has made a conscious effort to change the league to make it more of a, a TV product. Um, so we talked about this last week too. Production has improved. Camera, cameras, number of cameras, camera angles. Um, the, the La Liga as a TV product is much, much better than it was just even a, a year or two ago. But what uh, La Liga has done is that uh, they made sure that every single week there's not one La Liga game that overlaps with another. So there's one on Friday, there's uh, four every su- Saturday, four every Sunday, and then one on Monday. And um, none of them are played at the same time as the other Spanish games. So if you really like La Liga, if you wanted to, you could watch these games back to back to back without over the entire weekend being able to see all the teams without having to make a decision on a Saturday at 10 a.m. Eastern time or, or a set, uh, Saturday morning at 9.30 Eastern time when there's four or five Bundesliga games on um, and at 10 o'clock when there's like four or five uh, Premier League games on. So it's, it's a smart move by La Liga. So at the same time during a typical soccer weekend, out of those uh, 10 La Liga games, uh, none of them overlap, but five of them do clash with the Premier League. So half of them cra- clash. But in the Bundesliga, nine out of the 10 games clash with the Premier League. The only one that doesn't really clash is the Friday one. And the Premier League plans on, in the future, adding more Friday fixtures. So there'll be more clashes uh, happening. So, Kartik, I think that the Bundesliga is a wonderful, exciting league to watch. Um, I, I love it. I enjoy watching it. The atmospheres are wonderful. I mean, uh, the tickets are cheap. Uh, the, the quality of football on, on display is wonderful. You know, TV production is great. Yes, it's a, a one-horse race uh, in the league. But look at the other teams in terms of uh, talent. It's, it's a great league to watch. My issue is, and, and I think this is the reason why the, the German league is having a really difficult time in the United States in terms of growing that audience, is it just clashes with the Premier League. And uh, no ma- matter how great the technology is that there are CEO mentions about all these new things that are at, being added and better, t- uh, uh, whether it's uh, HDR or you name it, it's not going to fix the fundamental issue, which is that most of these games, almost uh, 9 out of 10 of them, clash with the Premier League. Um, and that is the issue that I see that the Bundesliga needs to address. And thus far, they, they haven't touched it. Um, Kartik, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I agree. I, I We've talked about this ad nauseum on the show, right? That their games, their kickoffs all conflict with the Premier League and Generally, the American audience is comfortable with the Premier League. You can argue about the quality of the league and argue about the quality of play. All that stuff, all those arguments are valid from where I sit. Uh, there, there is definitely some validity to an argument that the Premier League is not uh, the great league that it's made out to be. That having been said, uh, Amer- the American audience is comfortable with that league. They prefer NBC to Fox. Probably is, is part of the consideration, and they're just not aware what channel the Bundesliga games are on. If it's FS1, FS2, uh, what have you, Fox Soccer Plus, and I, I just think that ship has sailed. It's done. If they stay in those time slots, and I have to say, even if they change the time slots, they're then going to run into conflicts with La Liga, which is probably not going to favor them either. 
Yeah, yeah. And I, I was thinking about that this morning too, Kartik, because I, I basically kind of um, positioning a uh, an argument, but I wanted to come up with a solution, at least to say, okay, well, here's a couple of ideas of how to fix that. So um, that is the issue, because if you do have the games kicking off later, like you said, then you're running up against La Liga. So what I looked at in terms of the, the weekly schedule, I thought, okay, well, Monday games. If they, What if they had a game that kicked off at uh, 8 o'clock, German time, so that's uh, two o'clock Eastern time, United States. It would start an hour before the the Premier League, and we'll give viewers at least an opportunity to watch maybe a Monday game. That's uh, that works out well for the Premier League. I mean, the Premier League now we've gotten so accustomed to Monday games. Um, at least that there's an advantage there of taking one of the games from the weekend, moving it to a Monday. Um, the second thing is adding a, a late Sunday game. So if uh, if in Germany they had a, a Sunday night kickoff. Uh, 7 o'clock local time there. Uh, that would be 1 o'clock Eastern time in the United States. And that would give, you know, you watch the Premier League game from 11 o'clock to 1 o'clock. And then there's a big German game that happens right after that live on, on Fox. You know, whether it's, you know, FS1, FS2, you, you, whatever it may be. But there's another opportunity. So there's an opportunity for a second game that could be moved. Um, and then last but not least, maybe a, an early Saturday game. I think the U.S. audience, we, we've seen, I mean, even from the West Coast numbers, that West Coasters and, and East Coasters are willing to wake up early to watch a game if it's a big game in the Premier League. And it's worked really well. It's, it's added a whole new window uh, for TV coverage in the U.S. in terms of you know, big numbers. And if uh, the Bundesliga added an early game, maybe it's a maybe it's a six thirty kickoff in the morning on a Saturday, which gives them again a, an hour advantage using the, t- the 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 time differences to their advantage, uh, which would be twelve thirty Eastern time, uh, twelve thirty German time, local time in Germany. But there's there's three games, so they ha- currently have one game that doesn't clash. I mean, as suggestions, there's three additional games here, so there'll be four games out of the ten that wouldn't clash which is, to me at least, much better than um, just the one game right now that doesn't clash. So, so Kartik, I, I think I, I agree with you in terms of at least the... Um, it's it's kind of sad in a way because I, I do want the German League to thrive. I just think it's it's facing a really difficult challenger. Um, and it's, it's tough. I mean, they have to change in order to improve their numbers if they want to want to improve those numbers. If they're happy with gradual growth... A few thousand here, a few thousand there, um, but but for Bayern Munich games, I mean Bayern Munich games, it's rare, incredibly rare that they get over a hundred thousand viewers, and that's Bayern Munich. That's the biggest team in the United States from the German side. Um, so if they can't hit a hundred thousand, what hope is there for the rest of the teams in the league? Yeah, I, I think that's a general general sense, and and part of this also is that. We talk about the popularity of the Premier League. There's also kind of an insular nature of the Premier League. A lot of American Premier League fans have adopted the English mentality. They want everything English, right? They want the commentary style to be English. They want the presentation to be English. They want to uh, think like they're English. And they also have, have adopted that kind of isolationism in terms of watching other football. There's an acknowledgement that Barcelona and Real Madrid are on a pedestal. But like so many in England, they have this very 
contemptuous view of German football, even kind of condescending view of it, which is not borne out by any sort of reality, considering the Bundesliga has been so much more successful uh, in European competitions lately than the Premier League. But that is part of the obstacle the Premier League is facing here. In some ways, it's like trying to break through in Britain, which is never going to happen. Right, right. I mean, I mean, the Bundesliga does have some advantages. I mean, they have uh, Alan Fontaine who does the uh, some of the commentary. We got Derek Ray once in a while when, right, the, when we have the fantastic. BT Sport. Uh, Owen Hargreaves. So they have some things going for them. I mean, definitely the cultural language difference is a factor. But but I I just think um, at the end of the day, if there's an opportunity to have games kicked off at different times, just a few um, where they don't overlap with the Premier League. I mean, I would definitely watch more Bundesliga games. I mean, if there was kind of a break of a couple of hours between, or a break of a couple of hours after, after a Premier League match, where there's really nothing on that win, in that window, I would watch more Bundesliga. Just for me personally, it's difficult to watch all the leagues because there's so many games and I have to make decisions. I have to make choices. And, uh, if there's a way to make it so that, you mean, the Bundesliga was another choice because there was nothing else going on at that time, I would watch more games. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think uh, they've just been a victim of all of this. And of course, we've talked time and again about them being late to the American market. So uh, I think it is what it is. They can they can hope for small increases, small boosts in, in numbers, but they're in general probably beat, as horrible as that sounds. Mm-hmm. They're probably in a position where they're not going to be able to um, to overcome this. Yeah, yeah. And it's a couple of years from now. I think the, uh, the right steal is up for bidding. Uh, but it doesn't matter who has it, if it's NBC or, I mean, which they, they wouldn't take it because of the Premier League, but no matter who has it, they're going to find the same issues. Um, and, and, and it's something that a TV network can't solve. It has to be the, the league and federation themselves. And at the end of the day, you mean, it ends up being that uh, the German public has to probably be the ones to, to change. And uh, with them having so much control and uh, so much influence, Maybe it never changes in terms of uh, the way that things are today. Let me just register. Let me let me just register for those of you listening. If you're still listening, I know this has been a long show, but uh, I do really respect the organic, uh, fan-driven, supporter-driven nature of German football that prevents these changes from happening. What's happened in England is that the league has become so corporate and so business-oriented and so focused on international markets that they've rolled over fans. They've run over fans, uh, moving games. Uh, Changing, uh, charging exorbitant ticket prices, really kind of disconnecting local fan support and supporters' bases from their clubs and from their sport. That has not happened in Germany. So I, I have to say I respect German football for that. It just inhibits what they can do here in the States and in China and in other markets where they might want to break through. Yeah, w- one last thing to Kartik too is that this time last year, the Bundesliga had, it was probably about five to eight games that were on over-the-air television, I think from like January or February all the way through to May. So it was like almost every two weeks we had a major, well, some of them weren't major, but we had a, a game, a Bundesliga game that was on Fox over-the-air. Um, and I just found out this morning that as of right now, uh, the game between uh, Bayern Munich and Dortmund on April 8th, I think it is, or 9th, um, 12.30 Eastern time is going to be on FS1 which FS1 is great, nothing wrong with that. But um, for whatever reason, I mean, whether it's the Bundesliga or if it's Fox, it's probably Fox, but they're deciding not to put uh, these games on over the air 
And, and I wish they would uh, just move that game then to, to FX like they did last season. That's a, a carrier with, uh, with with more homes than FS1. But exactly. I, I, I kind of get it. Yeah, but it just makes you wonder, okay, are they give, not, not, not giving up, but do they see that as a failure or did they say, okay, we've tried it, it's just there's not any windows open or I don't know, it just seems to be... I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of confused in terms of that one, whether it's Fox not trying hard enough uh, or if it's the Bundesliga saying, OK, well, let's just wait until we launch our new global strategy and then we'll come back hard. You mean for the beginning of the next season with all this technology uh, advancements, and may, maybe then that'll be the right time to, to launch our new campaign. Sometimes it is it is down to kind of marketing, uh, unfortunately. So, Kartik, uh, where can listeners find you on the Internet? Easiest place is KKFLA737 on Twitter. All right. So, listeners, thank you for listening. Uh, you can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday. Uh, every episode is released on SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, Audioboom, and WorldSoccerTalk.com. And if you like the show, uh, go ahead and share it with your friends on social media and give us a review. We'd, we'd love for you for that. So, Kartik, over to you, sir. Enjoy your football. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.